I scrutinized the man they'd chosen for me, his beard more gray than black, curved ruts beneath his eyes, a weariness about his countenance, a kind of bitterness. They meant to give me to him. God, slay me. I would be expected to obey his entreaties, oversee his household, suffer his stubby body upon mine and bear his children, all the while stripped of my pens and scrolls. The thought sent a spasm of rage through me so fierce, I clutched my waist to keep from clawing at her. He is old, I finally managed to say, offering the most feeble recrimination of all. He's a widower, yes, with two daughters. He, he wants a son, I said, finishing her sentence. Standing in the middle of the market, I paid no heed to the people who stepped around us, to father's soldier waving them along, to the utter spectacle we were. You could have told me what awaited me here, I cried. And did you not betray me? An eye for an eye, that would be reason enough to have kept this meeting from you. She smoothed the front of her coat and glanced nervously toward father. We didn't tell you because we had no wish to endure your fit of protest. It's bad enough that you raise a dispute now in public. She sweetened her tongue, eager to bring an end to my revolt. Gather yourself. Nathaniel is waiting. Do your duty, much is at stake. I glimpsed the sour-looking little man observing us from a distance and jutted out my chin in the defiant way I'd seen Yaltha do when father forbade her some small freedom. I will not be inspected for blemishes like a Passover lamb. Mother sighed. One cannot expect a man to enter something as binding as a betrothal without judging his bride worthy. This is how it's done. And what about me? Shouldn't I be allowed to judge him worthy? Oh, Anna, she said. She gazed at me with the tired old sorrow she felt from enduring such a fractious child. Few girls find happiness in the beginning, but this is a marriage of honor. You will want for nothing. I will want for everything. She gestured for Shipra, who appeared beside us as if she might be called upon to drag me to my fate. The market closed in around me, the feeling of having nowhere to go, no escape. I was not like Judas, who could just leave. I was Anna. The entire world was a cage. I squeezed my eyes shut. Please, I said, do not ask this of me. She nudged me forward. The howling in my head returned, but softer, like someone moaning. I walked toward my father, my feet the carapaces of two turtles, my sandals tolling. I was a head taller than Nathaniel Ben-Hanania, and I could see he was repulsed by the need to look up at me. I rose on my toes even higher. Ask her to speak her name so I may hear her voice, he said to father, not addressing me. I did not wait for father. Anna, daughter of Matthias. I half shouted it as if he were old and deaf. Father would be livid, but I would give the man no cause to think me modest or easy to tame. He glowered at me, and I felt a smidgen of hope that he would find a reason to reject me. I thought of the prayer inside my bowl, of the girl beneath the cloud. Yaltha's words, take care what you ask, for you shall surely receive it. God, please, do not desert me. The moment sagged beneath a thick, implacable silence. Finally, Nathaniel Ben-Hanania looked at my father and nodded his consent. I stared into the dim, hazed light of the market, seeing nothing, feeling nothing, 
listening to them speak of the betrothal contract. They debated the months until the marriage ceremony, my father arguing for six, Nathaniel for three. Not until I turned away did grief close over me, a dark forsakenness. My mother, her triumph secured, turned her attention back to the cloth in the silk stall. I walked toward her, fighting to hold myself erect. But midway there, the floor tilted and the world slid sideways. Dizzied, I slowed, my red cloak cascading around me, the hem snatching at the bells on my sandals, my foot torquing. I fell onto my knees. I tried to stand but slumped back, surprised by a sharp pain in my ankle. She is taken ill, someone shouted, and people scattered as if to flee a leper. I remember their shoes like hooves, the little dust storm on the floor. I was the daughter of Matthias, head scribe to Herod Antipas. No one would dare touch me. When I looked up, I saw the young man from the yarn stall coming toward me. A tuft of red thread dangled from the sleeve of his robe. It drifted to the floor as he bent in front of me. It occurred to me he'd witnessed everything that had transpired, the argument with my mother, the transaction for my betrothal, my suffering and humiliation. He had seen. He reached out his hand, a laborer's hand. Thick knuckles, calluses, his palm a terrain of hardships. I paused before taking it, not from aversion but fascination that he'd offered it. I leaned against him the slightest bit, testing the weight on my foot. When I turned my face to his, I found my eyes almost level with his own. His beard was so close I could, if I were bolder, nod my head and feel it graze my skin. And it surprised me that I wanted to. My heart bounded up, along with an odd smelting in my thighs, as if my legs might give way once again. He parted his lips as if to speak. I remember the eagerness I felt for his voice, for what he would say to me. What happened next would plague me through the strange months to come, raining down at odd moments and sometimes waking me in the night, and I would lie there and wonder how it might have been different. He might have led me to the yarn stall, where I would sit on the wood plank among the balls of thread, waiting for the throb in my ankle to subside. My parents would find me there. They would thank the kind man, give him a coin, buy all the yarn the girl had so carefully sorted and wound. My father would say to him, for your kindness, you must dine with us. Those things did not happen. Instead, before my rescuer could utter the words on his lips, the soldier who'd traipsed behind us through the streets rushed at us, shoving the man violently from behind and catching my fall as I lost my balance. I watched him go down, unable to look away as his forehead struck the hard tile. I heard the girl call out his name. Jesus, as she ran to him, and I must have tried to go to him too, for I felt the soldier restraining me. The man got to his feet, the girl pulling his arm. She seemed terrified, frantic for them to escape before the soldier assailed him further, before the crowd was riled against them. But he took his time, and I remember thinking what dignity he had, what calm. He lifted his fingers to a vicious red welt above his right brow, then straightened his cloak and walked away as prudence dictated, but not without looking back at me a kind, burning look. My whole being ached to call out to him, to ensure he was not severely harmed. Tell him I was sorry, offer him the bracelet from my arm, offer him all the bracelets in my jewel box. But I said nothing, and he and the girl disappeared behind the wall of spectators, leaving their humble lumps of yarn behind. 
My father and Nathaniel ben Hanania arrived shouting their inane question. Not, are you well, but did the peasant assault you? The soldier hurried to justify his actions. The man rushed at your daughter. I acted to defend her. No, I exclaimed. The man came to my aid, my ankle. Find him, my father shouted. And immediately the brute of a soldier dashed off in the direction the man called Jesus had disappeared. No, I cried again, breaking into a frenzied explanation, but father did not listen or hear. Quiet, he said, slashing his hand through the air. The pleasure Nathaniel took in witnessing me silenced was not lost on me. His smile was no smile. It was the wriggle of a viper. I squeezed my eyes shut, hoping God was still able to see me, tiny, shrinking son that I was, and I prayed he would let Jesus find his way to safety. When I opened my eyes, I looked at the tile where he had fallen. A slender red thread was curled there. I bent and picked it up.